Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, following yesterday's 280-point rally in the Dow Jones, which was uh, the result of the pep talk given by the cheerleader uh, in chief, the head of the central bank, Janet Yellen, right? She passed her baton over to the Swiss National Bank, which gave the party boys another present in negative deposit rates in Switzerland, not for the mom and pops who open up a passport bank account. They'll just have to suffer 0% interest rates and uh, a declining purchasing power as their Swiss francs have been converted into euros. But for larger deposits, uh, they're going to be charged 25 basis points. So you've got a negative 0.25% interest rate in Switzerland. And that was enough to send the Swiss franc and the euro lower and U.S. stocks surging a 420-point rocket ship ride in the Dow. The Nasdaq got better than 100 points. You know, this two-day rally is over 700 points on nothing but central bank inflation, first from the Fed and then from the uh, Bank of, uh, of Switzerland. You know, this move by uh, Switzerland, I think, has already backfired in that by moving the deposit rate into negative territory, traders are already speculating that the Swiss must know that European QE is coming next year, and they're trying to prepare for it by making the franc as unattractive as possible so people fleeing the euro won't buy the Swiss franc. They'll buy the dollar instead, or maybe gold. Gold prices did surge better than 2% in Swiss franc terms today. They were up uh, less in, in dollar terms. You know, we're around 1180 uh, in the Swiss franc price of gold. If we get through 1200, that'll be a new 52 week high, but that will also be a major, major breakout. And we could see an explosive move up in the Swiss franc price of gold. And probably if that happens, we may very well break out in terms of the dollar as well. Because even with uh, uh, today's dollar rally, you saw a 
rally in the price of gold. But if you think about this, you know, 700.2 day party on Wall Street, what has changed? I mean, certainly not oil prices. In fact, oil prices tried to rally today and they ended up down almost two bucks. We settled below $55 a barrel, almost near the lows. So anybody who might have been worried about falling oil prices or the fallout in the credit market, uh, their concerns haven't been eased. Certainly, if you were worried about Russia or emerging markets or any of that contagion, none of that has changed. And if you were just worried about you know, overpriced uh, U.S. markets, that hasn't changed either. All that happened was Janet Yellen right, pretended that the economy was strong enough to raise interest rates, even though you have overwhelming data, including more data that came out today, which I will get into, that shows that whatever recovery she thinks she created is already evaporating before her eyes. But rather than believing the real data, all you need on Wall Street is some reassurance from the Fed that they have confidence in the economy. Even though I went over yesterday that no matter what the Fed believes, they're always going to pretend that they're confident in the U.S. economy. So just because Janet Yellen says, yes, uh, I think the economy is strong enough to raise rates in the future, right? but apparently it's not strong enough to raise rates right now but it will be strong enough in three to six months, even though the economic data will probably be a lot weaker in three to six months than it is right now. So theoretically, if she can't raise interest rates now, why will she be able to raise them in the future when the data is not as good, right? The jobs data or the GDP data is not as good as it is now, and she can't raise interest rates now. But nonetheless, uh, you know, she was confident and that was enough. But this new jolt, provided by the Swiss National Bank, because again, in making this the euro less appealing, and that's why I said that this kind of backfired, because now if the, the Swiss are sending a signal that they're worried about European QE, now traders are more convinced than ever that Europe is going to do QE, even though I don't think they will. But if traders think they will, now they want to get rid of their euros, which puts even more pressure on the Swiss because now they got to buy even more euros that people want to convert to Swiss francs. But more people want to convert their euros to dollars or to gold or to U.S. stocks, which represent another way that the Europeans or the Swiss can get their money out of harm's way, right, out of currencies that they think will be debased into dollars, which everybody is convinced are not going to be because they're convinced the Fed is going to raise rates. Why do they believe that? Because the Fed claims that that is what they're going to do with the caveat, of course, if the data uh, uh, warrants it. And of course, they're going to be patient, right? Well, I wonder how long the market will be able to be patient with a patient Fed constantly talking about raising interest rates, but never actually doing it. So the prospects of all this cheap money flowing out of Europe, right, lit a fire under the markets. Of course, not just here. The DAX was up 266 points, too. Uh, the Nikkei had a big run last night. It was up almost 400, but I think that's nothing compared to this 420-point uh, ride in the Dow following yesterday's 280-point. I mean, the 420-point increase was the biggest daily jump since January of last year. But if you combine the two days, 700 points— you know, I don't know when the last time that happened. I mean, was it in 2009? Probably sometime back then is the last time you had a two-day rally that was, that was this big. And again, based on nothing but hot air, central bank talk. Now, we've got some more central bank 
uh, officials in the U.S. speaking tomorrow. I wonder if they could, uh, if they can, you know, prolong the party uh, by just talking about things, and now traders can somehow interpret their words as being a buy signal for the U.S. market. Let me mention uh, some of the economic data that again was overlooked today, as is often the case when the news comes out bad. Nobody wants to confront bad economic news. We got the uh, PMI, the Flash Services PMI for December. Now, this index had dropped for five consecutive months in a row. And the analysts were estimating that we were going to break that trend and that December was going to rise from last month's 56.3. It was supposed to rise to 57.3. Instead, it plunged all the way down to 53.6. Huge miss. In fact, it's the biggest miss since they began keeping the statistics. This is now the sixth consecutive month that that number has declined. Uh, Anything above 50 is contraction. But as the number gets lower and lower, the, the expansion is slowing down. This is now the slowest expansion since February of this year, you know, the, the middle of the, the polar vortex. Well, what's the excuse now for uh, the service sector expansion slowing so much? We don't have all the snow that we were buried under in February. So what's the excuse? And to me, this is more indication that the recovery is already faltering And the Fed hasn't even gotten around to its rate hike. It seems that the longer the Fed waits to raise interest rates, the weaker the economy is going to be, which means the less likely it is to raise those rates and the more likely it is to do QE4. So that was a horrible number. We also got the Philadelphia Fed survey. And last month, we got like an outlier. It was the, the highest reading in about 20 years. The, uh, the reading came in at 40.8. They were looking for it to drop back down to 20 to 26, although some people thought it would still be as high as 36. Instead, it, was, it, it jumped all the way back down to 24.5, so an even bigger decline that had been forecast. But more importantly, these are the weakest readings since April. So uh, Philly Fed coming out weaker than expected, and the service sector PMI much weaker than expected, exacerbating a bad trend that was already in effect that people were, again, hoping would reverse, and it didn't happen. Yet none of the bad news got in the way of the Dow's 420-point rally. Why? Because Janet Yellen said things are good. And because Janet Yellen says things are good, we can ignore all the data that proves she's wrong, as if Janet Yellen has such a fantastic uh, track record of of getting stuff right. In fact, I talked yesterday on yesterday's uh, podcast about the Janet Yellen press conference. But I I want you to listen to uh, a little bit of her answer. Steve Leisman asked her the question about the oil market. Was there concern, uh, Steve Leisman, CNBC, was there concern expressed at the meeting that the signal coming from markets and a variety of markets, lower oil prices, uh, lower yields around the world, was one of deflation and that that risk was one uh, that that should perhaps uh, overshadow the the uh, concern about inflation on the other side. Well, she did say that. Well, yes, maybe there's some small problem here. We shouldn't worry about it because she was convinced that falling gas prices, on balance, were good news both for the consumer and the economy. I think the judgment of the committee is that, from the standpoint of the United States and the U.S. outlook, that. The decline we have seen in oil prices is likely to be 
on net a positive. Uh, it's something that's certainly good for families, for households. Uh, it's putting more money in their pockets, uh, having to spend less on gas and energy. And so in that sense, it's like a tax cut that boosts their spending power. Now, why did Janet Yellen say that lower gas prices were going to be good for the economy? She said, well, it was like a tax cut. She said that if gas prices come down and now consumers can spend less on gas because the prices are lower, well, they have more money to spend on other goods and services. Therefore, you know, they can spend more. And so that's going to boost consumer spending. It's going to boost the economy. So we're going to get a boom from the fall in gas prices. Now, the reason I want to talk about this again is to show the, the inconsistencies in what Janet Yellen says and the fact that nobody bothers to challenge her when she obviously contradicts herself. The biggest worry that Janet Yellen publicly expresses about the economy is that consumer prices are not rising fast enough. She's worried that prices are not going up fast enough, right? That the price increases are too slow. Well, wait a minute. If you listen to Janet Yellen's explanation about why falling gasoline prices benefits the consumer, why can't you simply substitute any other price that might be part of the CPI basket? Because gasoline prices are there. They are one of the consumer prices that Janet Yellen is worried are not rising fast enough because she thinks that rising consumer prices are necessary for the economic growth. She thinks they're beneficial to consumers because if she didn't think rising prices were good, she wouldn't be striving to use monetary policy to make prices go up. But yet she's describing here to Steve Leisman and the audience why she believes that falling gasoline prices are good for consumers. Well, if that is the case, what makes gasoline different than any other price that is a component of the CPI? Why doesn't somebody ask her, all right, so Janet, y'all, are you making an exception here? You're saying that if, the, if prices go down for consumer goods, I mean, if prices go up for consumer goods, that's bad, unless that consumer good happens to be gasoline, in which case it's good. I mean, is this the exception that proves the rule? And then I would ask her, well, can we talk specifically about other prices? What about food? Right? Couldn't, you, couldn't you say the same thing about food? Couldn't you say that if food prices went down, then consumers would have more money to spend on other things since food costs them less? Couldn't you say that falling food prices would also benefit the economy? She might have to say, well, I guess, yeah, I guess food, falling food prices, that would benefit. Well, then you can say, what about clothing? What if clothing was less expensive? What if consumers didn't have to spend as much money on clothing? Couldn't they spend more money on other things? Then you could say, well, what about health care? What if health care prices went down? Right? What if insurance rates went down? What if your utility bill went down? What if consumer electronic prices went down like they already do? Right? Any, every single consumer good, if the price goes down, it's good for the economy. By Janet Yellen's own explanation about why falling oil prices. I would like to be in that press conference and ask Janet Yellen for an example of a consumer good 
that she thinks a decrease in price would be problematic for consumers and the economy, right? Just name one, right? Because she's saying, well, we have to make sure that consumer prices go up because otherwise it's going to hurt the economy. Okay, well, come, name one product that you're worried that the price is not going up fast enough. Or give me one product. What's this mysterious product where if the price goes down, that's bad for the economy? I don't think she can think of one, at least when it comes to consumer goods. There's not one consumer good that she could think of that would be bad for the economy or the consumer. Well, if that's the case, if there isn't a single consumer good where if the price goes down, that's bad for the consumer or the economy, why is it that if you form the CPI index, which is simply a collection of all these uh, consumer goods, and if the basket goes down, why is that bad? If the price of everything goes down, then consumers have more money to buy everything. They can buy more of everything. It would, oh, of course, it would be good. Yet Janet Yellen, obviously, you know, she speaks out of both sides of her mouth because she doesn't want to say that she's worried about falling gas prices. So she explains why falling gas prices are good. But then if that's the case, falling prices are good. So why is she worried about deflation? The real answer is the real prices that Janet Yellen doesn't want falling are bond prices, stock prices, and real estate prices, financial assets upon which the bubble economy is leveraged. Those are the only prices that Janet Yellen could identify as to where she sees a problem if the prices go down. Well, why doesn't she say that? Because she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to let the cat out of the bag. She doesn't want to say we need more inflation to keep asset bubbles from imploding. So she wants to invent this cockamamie story that we need consumer prices to go up, that consumer prices are necessary for a growing economy when she knows that that's not true because she's described why falling gasoline prices are good for the consumer and good for the economy, which if true, and it is, then you could apply that to every price. There's no difference between gasoline and any other consumer good. The effect is always the same. I mean, this is some mysterious good that is different than all other goods that, well, if any other price goes down, it's bad, except oil. If that price goes down, it's good. No, they're all the same. She just has to make an excuse. And of course, the other reason why Janet Yellen and every other central banker wants inflation is to bail out the government, to wipe out debt, right? To spare the, the politicians the political embarrassment of legitimate default. And so she's going to do it for them through inflation. But again, she's not going to say, I want to create inflation to wipe out sovereign debt or to wipe out other debt because we, we're, we're too over leveraged. No. So she, again, she has to make up some BS uh, explanation as to why rising consumer prices are necessary and beneficial. And then when she explains the opposite, when she actually is confronted by a consumer price that's going down and she explains why that's good for the economy and the reporters in the room or the reporters not in the room cannot even see the contradiction and even think enough to question it. Yet when Janet Yellen says anything, right, the markets rally, the dollar rally, because she's all wise, all knowing. And if Janet Yellen says the economy is strong enough to raise interest rates, then it must be even though she hasn't raised them. And as I said yesterday, if the economy was strong enough to raise rates, the Fed would have raised them a long time ago. 
They wouldn't just talk about it. Like I said about somebody who's obese and going to go on a diet. If you're going to go on a diet, you don't just talk about it. You go on a diet, right? But it's when you're not going to go on a diet. You want to fool your friends into thinking that you're going to go on a diet. As you're stuffing your face with junk food, maybe you could even fool yourself, right, by relieving the guilt, by talking about the diet that you're going to go on in the future, that you don't have the courage uh, to go on right now because you don't want to deny yourself uh, the, the, the junk food that tastes so good. And so the same thing is going on here. Well, in any event, we'll see how much more momentum this craziness on Wall Street can go. You know, we haven't made new highs. Uh, we had a very sharp decline leading into this big two-day jump. I'm sure there was a lot of short covering uh, during the last couple of days. A lot of people that maybe tried to get short this market got scared out of their positions uh, based on this momentum. So we'll see if the market can make new highs. Because if it can't, it's probably going to turn down once again. Also, with all of the concerns now about the euro, even though the euro was down, it hasn't quite made new lows against the dollar. So we'll see if maybe the euro is putting in a bit of a short-term bottom against the dollar. It's hard to tell. Again, I think the conclusion to which everybody has prematurely arrived that Europe is going to do QE for sure and we're going to raise rates is wrong. I think we're more likely to do QE4 than Europe is likely to do QE1. That is the reality that nobody is prepared for. Uh, but that is the surprise that I think most traders uh, have in store for them. So we'll watch these markets uh, closely for the next few days to see if there's any sign of sanity, any sign that uh, people are starting to figure this out. And again, we're going to watch very closely the gold price, not only in terms of U.S. dollars, but I think more importantly, in terms of Swiss francs, because the Swiss may have voted down the uh, referendum to save the Swiss gold and save the Swiss franc. But if gold breaks above 1,200 francs, I think a lot of Swiss citizens are going to buy gold on their own. Maybe even a lot of the ones who voted no are going to vote yes with their feet or their pocketbooks when they turn in their Swiss francs for gold bullion because their Swiss francs are no longer Swiss francs. They are euros. And the one country that has the most to lose if Europe does do QE is Switzerland because they're going to be left holding the bag, literally, of euros because they're going to have to buy even more euros by the boatload uh, if, uh, if Europe actually does that, which is one of the reasons why I don't think they will uh, because I think the Swiss will have a lot of influence along with the Germans in preventing uh, QE in Europe. But it doesn't stop Draghi from talking about it or other bank officials from talking about it, just like Janet Yellen talks about raising rates, even though she hasn't actually done it. As far as the markets are concerned, it's the talk that counts. It's the rhetoric that counts uh, because reality, well, none of this has any basis as reality. It's all based on fantasy. So maybe talk is cheap, uh, but not when it comes to the financial markets. Uh, there, that's all you got. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. 
They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.